0: This e-multiple sclerosis review podcast is presented by DKP Med Radio.
1: Shared decision-making allows patients to feel better understood. It allows them to feel that they are making the right decision about a medication that will likely have to take for the rest of their lives. And that ultimately allows improved adherence and reduces disease progression.
0: Shared decision-making in MS, the why and the how. Welcome to e-multiple sclerosis review. Shared decision-making in multiple sclerosis. How can it motivate patients to take charge of their disease? How can it help providers better understand and better address their patients' concerns? If shared decision-making can be a bridge connecting patients with their healthcare providers, how can it be built? That's what we're here to talk about today with Lisa Fox, a physician assistant from the Department of Neurology at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. For our guest disclosures, as well as additional CME information, please go to our website, Review.org and click on the Volume Three Issue Twelve link. I'm Bob Busker, managing editor of E Multiple Sclerosis Review. Lisa Fox, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Lisa, before we go to the clinic, I'd like to establish some basic definitions. So, SDM, shared decision making, specifically in multiple sclerosis. What are we talking about?
1: Care decision-making in MS is an approach where providers and patients have uh, educated and a succinct discussion around what is multiple sclerosis, the literature around MS, and what the clinical trials have shown in the disease state, as well as what is upcoming in MS in terms of the clinical trials. And this approach allows patients to understand all the available treatments and decisions, and they feel more supported in their disease, and that they can have better control over a chronic disorder that will be with them.
0: And from a clinical perspective, the value of SDM?
1: Shared decision-making is quite valuable, in my opinion. It creates a bond of trust and understanding between the provider and the patient. It allows patients to make the best educated decision alongside of the provider. This is highly valuable in chronic disorders such as multiple sclerosis, where there's no cure at present, and medications have side effects that need to be well understood.
0: Thank you, Lisa. Now, let's go to our first learning objective, how to achieve shared decision-making in a patient newly diagnosed with MS. So if you would, please, take us to the clinic with a patient scenario.
1: So the first patient I'd like to discuss is a 32-year-old female who's recently been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and she presents in the office for further discussion of multiple sclerosis medications. You can appreciate that she's a little bit nervous, and she admits that she doesn't know much at all about multiple sclerosis. She's not quite sure what the disease means for her, and she really wants further discussion in this regard.
0: So among newly diagnosed patients, what have you seen as their most common questions?
1: Patients usually are initially concerned about resolving their current symptoms, such as if they have vision loss from optic neuritis, will it come back? If they have burning pain, will it subside? Will it go away? If their weakness is there, will they be able to improve in terms of getting back to their old physical abilities? They want to know about the long-term disabilities that it may become permanent. They want to know how to stop the symptoms. This is where shared decision-making starts. This is where the provider and the patient discuss what is multiple sclerosis how we treat multiple sclerosis and what MS medications are out there and what they do to prevent further lesions or symptoms. The provider needs to discuss all these things at a level geared towards the patient and the patient's family. It helps us to create a trust and a network of continued support between the provider and the patient.
0: Discuss at a level geared towards the patient and the patient's family. How do you go about doing that?
1: I just start by listening. I listen to the patient's story, and then I use reciprocal questions to gain further insight into her expectations, what her concerns are, what are her fears. Building this trust is an important part of educating a patient about shared decision making. So through this questioning and listening, I find out what she really wants to know about multiple sclerosis. I understand what she wants to gain in terms of further education and insights for her own well-being. I take the time to explain things to her similar to how she explained the story to me, meaning I use similar language that she used. I use the same way she described her symptoms to me to make it more relatable. And I talk about the disease mechanism of action, meaning what causes MS, how multiple sclerosis affects the central nervous system, how that's relatable to patients' nerves and the myelin, the coating of the nerves. And then I relate it to what's going on in that patient's body.
0: So by increasing her education, you're reducing her anxiety.
1: Definitely. And this allows us as providers to relate to the patient more strongly and allows us to educate them more deeply on the disease process. It's important for patients to understand that they didn't cause their multiple sclerosis. That MS is an autoimmune condition and their emotions are real. The conversation usually then flows into the patient's next concern, which is what almost every patient newly diagnosed with MS wonders.
0: I'm guessing that would be, what can I expect from having this disease?
1: That's right. And this is the source of much of their fear. They want to know, how disabled is this disease going to make me? Am I going to end up in a wheelchair? Can I keep working? How do I continue? And will I continue to provide for my family? Can I have a family? Will this happen again? How do I stop this? I don't want to have any more symptoms. What can I do?
0: And when your discussion reduces the anxiety behind their questions,
1: then they are better equipped to participate in shared decision making about their choice of disease modifying therapy and ultimately improve their overall MS understanding.
0: DMT selection. Within the context of shared decision making with a newly diagnosed patient, how would you discuss that?
1: This is a conversation that you really need to understand the language that your patient uses, understands their education level, and what their expectations are of MS. When I start explaining this, I discuss how the immune system works. This is a very complex discussion, and I'm not a professor in immunology, but I do explain the basics of it to each patient, because by understanding that, the patient then can understand why MS occurs. What is the mechanism of action of each of the medications? Why do the medications help? Why do they cause reduced inflammation to improve neurological symptoms? We discuss efficacy. We talk about the different side effects of the profile. And by understanding the mechanism of action, then you can understand the side effects of what happens with these medications better. And lastly, I also talk about the mode of administration of the MS medications. It could be through an injection, subcutaneous or intramuscular. It could be an oral pill that they swallow. could be once a day, up to twice a day. Or it could be an infusible, meaning they get hooked up to an IV and the medication's infused over an hour or other medications up to a few hours.
0: What's important to focus on when you explain the need for medication adherence?
1: Factors that we take into account when talking about adherence include age, where are they in life? What are their other medical conditions? Do they take a lot of other medications? Are they already ingesting with other medications? What's their family history? What's their social history? Along those lines. So understanding a patient, not just from their MS disease, is very important. To piggyback adherence, I also talk about what I can help the patient with to improve their overall quality of muscle sclerosis and how they can take ownership of their MS
0: ownership of their MS. Uh, Part of that is helping them understand their lifestyle contribution to improving their condition.
1: Exactly. In patients that have MS, it's an autoimmune condition. It happens. They have no control over it. They can't stop it from occurring, but we can reduce the risk of MS lesions with MS medications. So I like to talk to patients how they can improve their lifestyle contribution and talk about the benefit of healthy sleep, healthy mood, healthy eating, healthy exercise, all those factors, ultimately, they have control over and they can make a difference in their MS.
0: Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience in this first case, Lisa. Let's return now to our learning objective, how to achieve shared decision-making in a patient newly diagnosed with MS. Summarize for us, if you would, please. What should our listeners take away from this discussion?
1: So specifically for newly diagnosed patients, like we've just discussed, Achieving shared decision-making helps improve patients' confidence that the provider has their best interests at heart by listening and responding at a level appropriate to the patient's understanding. Understanding of how multiple sclerosis affects their body, about why it is important to treat MS, about the ways MS can be treated, about the mode of administration, about the side effects of the medication, understanding factors that determine which medication is best for each patient that comes from a strong shared decision-making discussion so that patients ultimately improve their MS and their neurological symptoms. And lastly, knowing that they can come to their provider, their physician, their PA, their nurse practitioner, and feel comfortable and that they're getting the best answer. And again, goes back to having that robust, concise conversation so that trust is improved.
0: Thank you, Lisa. And we'll return with P.A. Lisa Fox from the Department of Neurology at Johns Hopkins Hospital in just a moment. COVID-19. How is it affecting people living with MS? Patients and clinicians want to know about telehealth visits, about how the virus might affect their disease-modifying therapy, about the effects of the vaccine on their DMT. What do clinicians need to know to help them continue providing the safest and most effective therapy? Bottom line, what do we know now? That's the focus of eMultiple Sclerosis Review Special Edition, COVID-19 and MS, what we currently know. In this interactive newsletter, eMultiple Sclerosis Review Program Director Dr. Michael Kornberg from Johns Hopkins School of Medicine analyzes the current data. Then, with guest experts reporting from the field, he discusses how what we currently know can directly affect practice. You can access COVID-19 and MS, what we currently know, at emultiplesclerosisreview.org by clicking the COVID-19 link. Welcome back to this Emultiple Sclerosis Review podcast. We've been speaking with Physician Assistant Lisa Fox from Johns Hopkins Hospital about achieving shared decision-making in a patient newly diagnosed with MS. Let's turn now to our second learning objective, using shared decision-making in an established patient showing symptom progression. So take us back to the clinic once again, if you would, please, Lisa, with another patient scenario.
1: So the next patient is a 56-year-old gentleman who has multiple sclerosis, diagnosed at age 35. So he has 20 years plus of MS. And he's had radiographical stability, meaning his MRIs have been stable, no new lesions, no active lesions, and he's been on dimethylfumeric acid. However, he clinically is showing progression of his underlying neurological symptoms, mostly worsening fatigue, cognition, and balance issues.
0: Quick clarification, Lisa. In terms of achieving shared decision-making, how does this patient differ from our first case?
1: The first patient was more about how to stop the patient's symptoms, how to reduce the risk of further symptoms, how to stabilize from getting new symptoms how to understand the disease process, the treatments for the MS, and breaking down the myths of the disease. Okay. Now, this patient has been living with MS for two decades. He understands what MS means. He understands the risk of relapses. He understands how the medications work for the MS disease. But he's struggling to grasp why his MRI is stable, but clinically, he is progressing.
0: So the second patient... Based on your experience, what would you expect to specific concerns are likely to be? And how does that translate into achieving SDM?
1: So this is a common attitude I hear often, especially in patients that have had multiple for a little bit of time where their MRIs are stable. They commonly say, Lisa, my MRIs are stable, but I don't feel stable. I feel worse. And that's where it comes down to that shared decision-making where they can be honest and open and not just accepting that an MRI is stable. They are able to discuss that their MS is progressing. They're able to have this conversation as to, you need to keep helping me out along these lines. And that's where you understanding as a provider, the patient's history, what their expectations are, what they want to achieve in life is very important because that trust in that conversation will improve their quality of life in a patient where the MRIs are stable and their symptoms are more notable.
0: So you want to develop a shared decision-making conversation. How would you do it?
1: Through open dialogue with the patient. And language, again, kind of that same verbiage, what words they use, how they describe their symptoms, and to the level of their education and understanding I then talk about the invisible symptoms of MS, the visual symptoms of multiple sclerosis, meaning the invisible symptoms are the symptoms that he feels, but people aren't necessarily seeing, such as the fatigue or the cognition disturbance. Whereas the people around him may see more his gait imbalance, and they might look at him and be like, you're totally fine. You're walking brilliant today. But it takes such a strength to get to that point early in the morning and all day long he's fighting it.
0: He's 56 years old. How does his age affect how he's feeling?
1: Understanding the expectations of MS and aging is very important for a patient with progressive symptoms, meaning he's feeling worse off, but his MRIs are stable. How does the aging process, or what we call immunosuppressants, play a factor in this? As we age, our body definitely don't have that rebound as much. We can't bounce back like we used to in our teens and our 20s. And we can't necessarily do the same physical activities because of our joints as well. So that aging process affects us and it definitely affects the central nervous system and the multiple sclerosis symptoms. And lastly, understanding how one compensates in terms of their MS. Our central nervous system has what I call a functional reserve, meaning it's the support of the MS brain. So it's the healthy cells of the MS brain. And when your healthy cells are exhausted from factors such as the aging process, factors such as not sleeping as well, factors such as it's been a hot day and you've been outside playing with your children or grandchildren children all day, this actually causes the central nervous system reserve to be not as strong. Therefore, they don't support multiple sclerosis lesions as fully. And we notice old multiple sclerosis symptoms or old neurological symptoms occurring more fully.
0: Tell us, Lisa, in patients like the one we've been discussing, what other concerns do you commonly hear?
1: Another big concern I have is about reactions from coworkers and even family members and friends saying, You don't look like you have MS. What do you mean you have MS? And the patient tells you, But I can tell it's worsening, Lisa. I know people aren't able to see what I feel on a daily basis, but I know I'm worsening.
0: Would you call that stigma? Stress coming from the opinions of others who don't know very much about MS or what the individual may be going through.
1: I agree. I think that's exactly what it is. MS has a stigma, and it's that you can't walk or you're going to end up in a wheelchair or you're not able to live your life to the fullest, whereas that's changed significantly since we've come so far in the past 20 years of MS medication.
0: How would you address this kind of stigma in a, in a shared decision-making context?
1: I like to ask the patient, what are their expectations? What do they feel MS looks like in general for themselves? And then I explain that, yes, there is a stigma to MS and that we've come really far with multiple sclerosis. And that stigma is actually reversing because of MS treatments and because we're able to improve the central nervous system's functional reserve. The concerns for a patient with progression of their symptoms comes back to, how am I going to continue to do my job performance? What about my retirement? Do I have to retire early? Can I still support my family? They really want to focus on quality of life. How can I improve my daily living? How can I have more energy? How can I remember more? What are these avenues to help me out so I can improve the way I feel?
0: Good talk, Lisa. One last question: This patient's been on dimethyl fumarate. It's been keeping him radiologically stable, but he's feeling symptom progression. How likely is he to look to you to change his DMT?
1: So I hear this fairly frequently.
0: And how does shared decision-making respond?
1: It goes back down to understanding the mechanism of what is multiple sclerosis. We bring out the discussion of how MS affects one's central nervous system. And then we talk about how MS is a neuroinflammatory versus a neurodegenerative process. Again, then we talk about how the MS medications play a role into one's disease state and how one can understand the benefit versus the risk of switching MS medication.
0: Thank you, Lisa, for bringing us this case. Let's review our conversation in light of our learning objective, how to achieve SDM, shared decision-making, in an established patient showing MS symptom progression. What are the key points our listeners should take away from this discussion?
1: MS patients who are aging Shared decision-making focuses on how to ease the patient's anxieties and fears of worsening neurological symptoms. So as we've been talking about, the shared decision-making approach pivots from the discussion of treatment options to more the quality of life issues and things such as job performance, retirement, how their family is, their family support, and how one can improve that quality of life. Shared decision-making is now becoming more about the provider listening to the patient's concerns about how the impact of their MS is on their activities of daily living. And it's also about the clinicians, how they're becoming counselors and educators, and about how to explain what the literature and new clinical trials may mean to the patient, what symptomatic medications may be to help the patients for improving those activities of daily living and their quality of life, and helping patients manage the expectations of multiple sclerosis and the aging process known as immunosenescence.
0: And finally, uh, if you would please, Lisa, take the last word on shared decision-making for people with MS.
1: The most important takeaway from our discussion are the benefits of shared decision-making for all patients with multiple sclerosis. This shared decision-making allows patients to feel better understood. It allows them to feel that they are making the right decision about a medication that will likely have to take for the rest of their lives. And that ultimately allows improved adherence and reduces disease progression. It actually allows them to feel in control of a disease for which they have little control due to the autoimmunity of the disease state.
0: Lisa Fox, physician assistant from the Department of Neurology at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Thank you for joining us for this E-Multiple Sclerosis Review podcast. Thank you, Bob. For E-Multiple Sclerosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ems.dkb.com. The multiple sclerosis review is supported by educational grants from Biogen Incorporated, the Genzyme Organization, Gene Corporation, and Genentech. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. E-multiple sclerosis review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC. Thank you for listening.